Hello, welcome to Talking Flutes. Today is a slightly different podcast, but on a hugely important subject, how to cope mentally with the pressures and demands that life and flute playing in particular thrust upon us. It doesn't matter whether you are an enthusiastic amateur, top professional or a student, we all at some point will have high and low points and it's how we deal with these times and events that affects our overall outcome. My memories from very soon after I started playing to a few years after I qualified were littered with the feelings of rejection after exams or auditions, sometimes recitals. In my mind, I either succeeded or I failed. That is, I didn't pass the audition or didn't achieve a high enough score. I would always have a day or two of total dejection and then would pick myself up and start all over again. I thought it would be good to chat to an expert in the field and so I'm delighted to have with me today psychiatrist Dr Rulof Joe Stammeyer, who also happens to be my son. So Joe, I thought you'd be able to give us all a balanced view on how to cope when players are struggling mentally to succeed and achieve, beginning maybe with an overview and then becoming more flute specific. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mental health is a, a topic that we've, I hope we've all become much more aware of recently. Good mental health is something that's very easy to recognise. It's our, what should really be a, a common state of being for most of us when we're feeling well-adjusted, balanced, able to focus on work. Um, but it's by far and away not the default state for a lot of people, especially when they're in a high-stress profession like professional performance or even from a, an amateur or hobbyist perspective where you may find your mental health struggling when the rewards or the gains that you're hoping to find from something which you want to enjoy aren't quite being met by your by your day-to-day activities. I think it's really important, first of all, to be able to recognise in yourself when your mental health is struggling. And often for most people, it might not be an obvious feeling of I'm feeling low, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling stressed and and recognising in yourself thoughts which might signal to you that your self-esteem or your mood is struggling. It might be that your sleep is the first thing that starts to go. Most people that struggle with depression will recognise that they wake up much earlier than they intend to or even that they struggle to get to sleep at night. It might be that your appetite has been reduced. It may be that you find yourself less able to cope with smaller stresses on a day-to-day basis. or even that things that you used to enjoy, whether flute playing or not, aren't bringing you the same degree of enjoyment that they used to. So what's key is recognising those moments and being able to say to yourself uh, that you're not feeling great at the moment, that your that your mental health is struggling a little bit, whether that's in a, a minor way or a, or a more serious way, and then being able to do something about it. OK, so we've got... Let's think about... Um amateurs and maybe more serious students or professionals Um, as solo instrumentalists we're always practicing alone it's a very solitary existent and it's very easy to become very self-critical so I suppose we need to try and retain the balance and the focus when we're on our own for all this time. Hmm. I suppose the, the same advice is going to be useful to people who are both performing at a professional level and an amateur level because mental health struggles will affect us all and often the degree to which we're affected doesn't necessarily seem to reflect the 
the degree of the injury which we might be inflicted, whether that's a, a stressful stimulus or, or even a, an illness. I think if you're spending most of your time on your own uh, in a practicing sense, and if most of the stress is coming from being on your own, it might be important to realize when that environment is no longer becoming helpful. Okay, uh, so you, you might recognize then that practice isn't be, being helpful. I suppose when you might be feeling worse and playing worse. And then what should you do? Create some distance? I think it's important to make sure that you have a some way of escaping harmful cycles. So I imagine most people would be incredibly familiar with the scenario of you'll be practising, you'll hit a bad note or a, a bad phrase, you'll recognise that it's not the right way to play that passage, you'll go back to the beginning again, you might hit another bad note or even the same one again and again, and the pattern will repeat in a way which you have a constant self-narrative that you're not a good player, I can't play this piece, I can't play this passage, and you might end up catastrophizing into, you know, really quite alarming thoughts like, oh, I can't play the flute at all, you know, I should give up now. And most of the time, I, I'd hope that most of us would be able to recognize that that's not a thought that's really representative of, of what's going on. But in those kind of moments, I think it would be important to maybe take a step back, whether that's sorted with five minutes of put the flute down, go for a go for a walk, go for a cup of tea, or if this is something which you're finding is more and more pervasive, getting out of the space where you're practicing, going out and doing something that normally brings you enjoyment, actually, going and, and seeking an activity separate from practice, which can bring your mood back to a place where you're feeling more stable, settled, well and balanced, whereby when you do go back to the flute, that practice is actually useful and beneficial as opposed to practicing in a in a poor state of mind where it's not only going to make you feel worse, but it's not going to do anything for your playing either. Okay, so sort of to sum up then, if you if you're feeling that things aren't going well, you can create distance between your practice uh, and maybe go for a walk, have a cup of tea, uh, go and do an act, sporting activity, something that that you know brings you joy. What about mindfulness? Well, I think when we... We've actually touched upon what's what's quite an important theme. So mindfulness has become incredibly popular recently, which which I think is a, a brilliant thing. Mindfulness is incredibly useful. But it's the evidence base for mindfulness is, is actually surprisingly much more narrow than you might think. Mindfulness is absolutely fantastic at preventing relapse. So in people who are in a good state of mind, who are feeling well and who are feeling balanced. Mindfulness is a brilliant technique to learn because it is a skill, mindfulness. It's not a, uh, an intervention. It's a, it's a skill which you learn through practice. So when you're feeling well, the ability to practice mindfulness will help you to stay well and will help you help to reduce the, the number of times that you might find yourself feeling low or find yourself having a, a relapse in your mental health. One of the problems is is when we are feeling low, when we're feeling bad, or even when we're in crisis, mindfulness is not actually helpful. Focusing on your own thoughts and feelings and emotions is not really a great experience when all of those thoughts, feelings and emotions are self-critical, negative, bad, and you can actually even worsen your mental health if you try to engage deeply in mindfulness while you're in a state of crisis, which is why when I talk about 
things that you can do to help yourself in those moments of practice when you're feeling self-critical. What I'm actually talking about are techniques based on something called behavioural activation, which is finding an activity or doing something, planning uh, a set thing which can get you away from what is currently being a negative stimulus and into something which will bring you back into a more positive frame of mind. Okay, so post-rejection is not a good time for mindfulness and you need to have a plan of activities to distract you when negative attitudes might arise. Yeah, I suppose it might be a good way to frame it as it being important to have a repertoire of helpful things to do, things that you know will make you feel better when you're in that incredibly negative space. You, you, I, mean, I imagine you'll probably have some feedback from people listening who say that mindfulness is always helpful to me when I'm in a bad space, and, and there may well be people for whom that is a useful technique for them. But if I'm giving sort of broad advice to the majority of people, in that immediate post-rejection negative space, mindfulness may actually serve to make you feel slightly worse. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never even thought about that. So that's something I'm going to certainly take on board myself. So probably then when you're feeling well, that's the time to come up with some good behavioural activities about what you like to do, like I said, walking or watching a film or some sporting activity, so that when you're in a low place, you can go to those places. Absolutely. When you're in a, a low place, it's going to be a massive struggle to think of things which make you happy because you're not going to be in the sort of frame of mind where you'll be able to recognize the enjoyment that those activities would bring you. It's important when we think in a behavioral activation framework to list four key categories in, in the activities that you might plan for yourself. Uh, and I'd list them as achievement. So how much of a sense of achievement does this activity give me? And for some people that might be cleaning the kitchen. That might make you feel like you've ticked a box, that you've done something, that you've achieved something from the day. Uh, Another important category is closeness. How close does that make me feel to other people? How connected does this make me feel to my friends, my family, my social circle? The third would be how enjoyable is this activity? How much innate joy does this bring me? And it doesn't matter what the activity is. It doesn't matter what it's doing or how much it's ticking any other boxes, but how genuinely happy does doing this make you feel when you're in a good space? And the fourth category is importance, which can be a little bit of a, an arbitrary or difficult thing to assign, but it is very subjective. How important is this activity to you? How grand is this in, or how important is this in the grand scheme of things for, for you to have achieved? Um, so achievement, closeness, enjoyable, important. And an activity doesn't have to tick all four of those boxes, but it should focus on at least one and ideally more. And on the topic of a sporting activity, that is the, the one thing I'd, I'd definitely say to anyone. If you don't currently have a sport or a type of exercise, whether that is as simple as a walk that you like doing around your house or a professional sport that you play with a team, definitely go out and pick one up. Definitely find a sport because exercise is a great way to, to boost your mood. Absolutely. So, and what about building up a support network? So I'm thinking about a lot of people listening will have teachers, but if you haven't got a teacher, maybe your peers, people, someone to talk to, so you have some sort of support network um, to help you in, in sort of times of need. As a mental health professional, one of the most reassuring things uh, nowadays is how open people are uh, talking with mental health, but I think it's important to recognise that there is still 
a certain degree of stigma about talking about your mental health and talking about your mood, which might seem to some people like a, a challenge to building a support network for that. But I would still definitely encourage people to try talking to close friends, support networks, teachers, family even, if you're having a, a bad time. And it doesn't have to be if you have a you know, a pre-existing struggle with your mental health. It doesn't have to be a deep opening of all of your deepest, darkest struggles. What it can be is just being able to say to someone, I'm actually having a bit of a bad day today. And whether that involves you wanting to talk more about it, whether that means I'm having a bad day today, would you be right to come over and, and have a cup of tea? Would you want to go for a walk? Do you want to do something else? So reaching out to peers who are going through the same same things as you, whether that's whether you're a, a student who's who's learning to play in that environment, or whether it's a, a pre-existing social circle, or whether it's someone who's already in a supportive role, like a teacher, who will understand the, the struggles that you've been through and will hopefully able to give you a a bit of reflection and a bit of advice in the you know in the challenges that you're facing at the moment. Yeah, that's really good. But also I suppose if you're if you're standing in a practice room on your own, you've been there for a, for a while and you are having a really bad day, it's also good to, to recognise that yourself, saying, look, I'm having a really bad day, let's go and do something else, rather than hammering at this, whatever it is that you're doing, and sort of digging a deeper hole. Yeah, I think you know, a, a phrase that I've used before is, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. So if the practice that you're doing is in that negative self-critical frame of mind and all you're doing is reinforcing each time you play a passage that I'm getting this wrong I'm bad at the flute all that you're doing is making permanent that association that you have with that passage and if you do it over a really extended frame of time what you're doing is you're making that personal self-critical association with the activity of playing the flute so if in your practice you're noticing that you are associating you're having this conditioning between your self-critical internal voice and playing the flute move yourself out of that space even for five minutes so that when you next go back to practice the association that you're making is positive you play that passage well you're thinking to yourself I am a good flute player I am good at this I'm enjoying this so that when you're practicing the thing that you're making permanent is not a negative association but a positive association okay that's great Joe now um, my my support networks I, I chat to my colleagues um, I love talking to uh, my great friend Ian Clark we can talk about flutes all day and it's really good to sort of uh, discuss various topics with him and get things sorted out in my head um, but also I have a, a social media support group for my many ears which I have my problem with my inner ear and it's for, for me that's good that support group on social media because it helps me know what's normal and helps me uh, discuss things with people about their coping strategies, etc. But there are problems, though, aren't there, about getting bad advice from social media because everybody has an opinion. What are your thoughts on social media? So social media can be a, a fantastic tool for connecting, for having that social network and that support network, which we were talking about earlier. But I think it is incredibly important to realise that social media can also be quite detrimental to our mental health. I mean, as we've seen recently in the media, social media heads having to respond to 
you know, authority over content on their platforms uh, to worsening mental health. And even in the worst case of scenarios, as we had with that, um, that really tragic case of the young girl with Instagram, to the degree of worsening your mental health to the point of, of suicide. So I think it's really important not to underestimate the risks of relying on social media as an arbiter of what is normal, what is appropriate, and even what's representative of day-to-day life. Uh, I imagine there is a huge preponderance of performers, musicians and otherwise, who will only post on a social media account the positive aspects of, of their careers, you know, whether it's a gig that went well, whether it's a lifestyle or a salary, or whether it's even an association that they have with themselves, with their own mental health and with their practicing that they have it's important not to look to that as a representative part of of, of musicianhood or even being a performer. Um, and one of the risks of social media is that we can see a, a wealth of people who seem to be doing incredibly well, which can make ourselves feel very isolated. Like, we are the only people who are struggling. We are the only people who are not having a good day. We're the only people who've had a a bad gig or you know, a, a rough spate with practice or that think that we're not not great performers. Uh, so social media, while being fabulous for support networks and socialising, also can very much skew our opinion of, of how we're meant to be doing. And especially talking about what's normal. Anyone who is having a, a an incredibly challenging time with their mental health might struggle and think that it's normal to be happy whereas in actual fact most people probably don't spend the majority of their time feeling happy so if the only image that you see of people is from a social media window assuming that 100% of the time the rest of the world is feeling absolutely on cloud nine when in actual fact what you're feeling most of the time is incredibly low you might start to think that you're not normal yeah that's interesting so social media media could promote poor mental health if you're not careful about how you use it. I mean, I've certainly noticed that a lot of people sort of are always promoting how great a concert's been, how wonderful their their students are, uh, what a wonderful life they're having. And um, we have no idea if it's actually true. And it's from their perception, not from anybody else. So I always think that you, you can't always emulate your heroes or your social media friends. And someone's success story is not necessarily reality. So definitely you have to be really, really careful. Um, and I suppose we, these days, solo success is, um, depends a lot on the brand that you create. And that's often through social media where you have to market yourself. I suppose that's why people are starting to sort of up how well they're doing and how great everything is. So we just need to keep a little bit of have a little bit of a reality check don't we i suppose we are touching on a bit of a, a double-edged sword there and in, in that you're right in order to create a from a marketing perspective in order to create a successful brand the image that you have to promote has to be almost uniformly positive and yet the catch of that wealth of uniformly positive brands is that for everyone else that's the only image that they see and that's not representative so the cost of good marketing is creating an environment where we risk worsening other people's mental health it's a it's a it's a challenging issue yeah it is well joe it's, this has been fantastic um 
quite a lot of things for us all to think about. But I think what's important is something I mentioned on a previous podcast. It's very important to be kind to yourself, not to be harsh on yourself, not to be unrealistic with your expectations. Talk to your teachers, talk to your peers, talk to your family. And if things aren't going so well, use distraction methods, go and do something else and then come back to it because it's a very fluid situation playing the flute and practicing the flute. You know, you have good days and bad days and often you don't really know why it's a good day or why it's a bad day. But so for everyone out there, be kind to yourself and if it's not going so well, go and do something else and then come back to it. So many thanks, Joe. Been very informative. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Anytime. If you have any comments or questions on today's podcast or any other aspect of flute flute technique, email us at flutepodcasts at gmail.com. And do remember, if you are struggling with your mental health, you can always go and contact your GP or, in emergency, go to A&E. Wish you all lots of positive thoughts. And until next time, goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.